Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, we come and we come before you this morning recognizing how majestic indeed is your name. You are great beyond imagination. You are infinitely glorious and wise. You know all things and you're good. And we come before you recognizing how great you are, that you are God. And there is no other. Your glory is above the heavens. It is greater than all. We, look, we know, Father, from your word and from history that it is the humble you lift up and not the proud. And so, Father, we pray that all the, the ways that I know we struggle, that you would indeed humble our hearts this morning as we pray to you, as we seek your face, recognizing that we're not God, you are. And we ask that if there's any one of us here that indeed is living their lives as though they are God, even now may you help them and humble them and show them that that is most certainly not true. They are not in control. This is not their life. This is not their world. It is your world and the life we all have, you've given it. You're giving it now, every breath, every heartbeat, every thought that we're by grace being allowed and even given now. And so we come humbled and we pray for your hand of humbling upon us. What are we that you are mindful of us? Yet indeed you have sought after us. You sent your son Jesus to come and save us. And that through Christ and Christ alone, there is salvation for all and any who look to him. And so we pray in light of these glories, may they be wonderful to us. May you be wonderful to us in our hearts and our lives in this time. And so we pray that you would do your powerful work in us now as we turn to your word. Your word. May you help affect our hearts and work in our hearts and our lives for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John this morning. We'll be in John chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 31. So a number of years ago now, a survey was done by the Barna Group. And they were asking a pretty basic question and rather simple question. And the question was this, is how, how are Christians doing with doubt? How are they working through that? Is it, is it common? Is it something experienced by many? Or is it not so common and you know, we don't really experience it all that often? Well, in their study, they found that two-thirds of Christians face doubt at some point. And so that basically means that pretty much every one of us here, at least most of us here, 
have faced doubt at some point as believers in Christ. And I know for me personally, I, I certainly have, you know, faced doubts. And for me, my doubts came actually as a new believer. Uh, I faced, faced them quite uh, fiercely and uh, quickly after I came to faith in the Lord. And I remember a number of occasions when I was, you know, in a conversation with someone as a new believer and, you know, and, and at my, my job and everyone is seeing this guy who was just really a jerk and, you know, cursing all the time and everything else. And now he's talking about Jesus all the time and, and they're asking me questions and talking to me like, what, what happened to you, you know? And then there's others who are just like, you know, we don't believe that. We don't believe what you're, you're talking about here. And so I would have, you know, a variety of people just kind of ask me a question. I simply would not have the answer to it, you know. And so I don't know if it was an intellectual doubt. It was more perhaps even just the the pressure of doubt in my soul, you know. But I will will say as I've I've matured and grown in my faith over the years and, and the roots and shoots of my faith have, have gotten deeper. I won't say that I've, I have all the answers, you know, I, I've got it all down for you this morning, you know, but I will say that Christianity, it is not uh, religious as some claim it to be. You know what I mean? Combining the word religion and ridiculous together, as some people call it religious. Even a sad documentary was made a number of years ago entitled that which you can imagine what that was about. (laughs) Mocking religion and Christianity specifically. Well, Christianity is not religious. (laughs) We have answers. Indeed, I would say that we have the answer. And and that's that's not pride. I mean, that's not, you know, being arrogant. That's not hubris on my part. And and if you're here and you never heard that before, you may think of that this way. You're like, man, what? You know, that, that's awfully bold statement for you to say. You have the answer. Well, we do. It's what you acknowledge and you admit and you recognize when God himself tells us who he is. When God himself tells us why all this is all this stuff here now the trees you your heart beating oxygen the galaxies and so on he tells you why all this is when he tells you he tells you who we are and he also tells you where all this is going it's what you acknowledge when you know those things and you've heard that from him and god has done that he has told us those things. He has revealed himself in history. He has revealed himself in Christ. He has revealed himself in his word, the Bible. And so we can know answers. And the Bible, it doesn't, it doesn't avoid doubt. We've already actually seen this in this gospel you know the bible is is a very honest book it doesn't hold back punches and say oh well that might be kind of you know hard for people to take you know let's just kind of leave that out when they doubted 
when they didn't believe, when they said, we don't believe what just happened. When, you know, the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God in delivering them out of Egypt and the parting of the seas, and then what? They don't believe. And they rebel against God and break His covenant. We have honest Bibles. And we've seen that already in the Gospels, in this Gospel even. And this morning we see it very directly, very clearly, and we have it, in fact, even set plainly right before our eyes this morning. And we see it with a man. And you'll know the man as Doubting Thomas as he's often called. Now, as we're talking about doubt, let me just say this too. That though Thomas doubted, if he were here right now, standing right now before you, he would implore you, do not disbelieve, but believe. That's what he would tell you. So let's see this then. Let's read our passage here, beginning with verse 24. May God bless the reading of his spirit and God-breathed word. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. As we kind of take in these verses and come to these verses here, you'll remember as we've been walking through these and even last week, you'll remember that Jesus, he had two other appearances before the one we're reading of here now with Thomas. And so if you remember back or just you can look in your Bible, (laughs) it's just right there. You can see it. But his first appearance, it was before Mary Magdalene. Yet what do we see there? Well, we, we saw as, as we were looking at that and, and looking at 
you know, how Jesus did indeed appear before Mary Magdalene. We found and we saw that she really was not looking for the risen Christ prior to him appearing to her. I mean, she wasn't like on the lookout like, okay, he said he's going to rise from the dead. I need to be on the lookout. That's not what she was doing. She wasn't looking out for it. She wasn't like believing like he said these words. I know he's going to be here somewhere risen from the dead. She was not doing that. She was wondering where in the world did they put Jesus' body? Someone took it. So, so she's not, we see the, again, the Bible being honest. She is, she's just kind of, she doesn't believe. She's just like, okay, well, he's dead. And they took his body. That's not okay. You know, we see her honest lack of really any kind of sort of looking forward to Christ rising from the dead kind of faith. And so we saw that with her. And then we saw then also Jesus, he appeared to his disciples as well. Now we know from the other gospels before he appeared to them that they didn't really believe either, right? I mean, again, Bible being honest before us, they weren't looking on, they weren't on the lookout either, you know, for what he, he said he would do. And, and we say that, that they weren't on the lookout. We say that remembering that they had heard Jesus' words, that they had heard about how he was going to rise again on the third day. He had told them that again and again. I think some around six times in all the Gospels he told them that. Besides perhaps all the other times he might have told them that outside of what we have in the Gospels. So they heard this in a variety of ways, a variety of places. At different times they'd heard this again and again. But their initial response is not faith. They didn't believe. Well, except for John, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And so we have the Bible speaking honestly on these things. It doesn't hide it away. It doesn't make excuses for them. It doesn't do that. It just tells us as it was. And so it is then that we come to the Bible giving us this third appearance with Jesus then appearing to Thomas. So Thomas, he wasn't with the disciples the first time around, you know, when, when Jesus appeared to them. We don't know where he was. I mean, who knows? He could have been out, you know, getting ice cream or whatever. I don't think so. But, you know, he could have been fishing or whatever. You know, he could have been doing something, but we, we don't know where he was at the time. And so he wasn't there the first time around when Jesus appeared to them. And so when the disciples tell him that they have seen the Lord, you see his response there, don't we? Or don't you? And he says, right, he says, oh, yeah, Jesus appeared to you, did he? Well, I believe and receive, you know. Is that the way he responded? No, not at all, right? He didn't, he didn't just... You know, just fall on his knees and confess Christ as Lord right then and there. He didn't do any of that. But no, instead, what we see here is right off, we see Thomas's doubt. We see his doubt. Now, as we try to understand his response here a little bit, we need to remember all that John has been making very plain so far in this gospel. And what has he been making plain? Well, he has been making plain these last few chapters that Jesus was dead. <laughs> and he wasn't just kind of dead. He was really, really dead. Like, dead, dead. As dead as you could be. Dead. Dead. And so he was beaten badly. He was crucified. And he was buried. 
And if you didn't know this, you know, normally people don't come back from the dead. So, yeah, so there's no reason why he should be thinking, besides all the times Jesus told him, you know, he'd rise from the dead here. And so he, John is making plain that Jesus is dead, and in Thomas's mind, that's, that's all that can be. I mean, he has been utterly beaten and torn and crucified and buried. He's not coming back, you know. No one's coming back from that. And so Thomas, he's not moved. And so he doesn't mince words here. And he just basically says, unless he sees and touches the mark of the nails in Jesus' pure side, he says, I will never believe. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm not Thomas. You know, I don't think you were thinking that. But uh, I, I'm not Thomas, but, you know, I remember doing, during my junior year of high school, um, just sitting there in my uh, computer keyboarding class. And for some reason, and this always just, I just remember it to this day, I've even talked with Megan and others about this and just trying to process it, but I just said there in my class on that day in keyboarding class after football, or I guess it was right before football, you know, I don't believe any of this God stuff. I'd had some exposure to God in the past, and I'd thought about it off and on. But I said, I'm not going to think about any of that stuff anymore. You know, I'm done. I'm just going to live the way I want to live. Typing along <laughs> on my keyboard, learning to type. And so I essentially said, you know, all that God stuff is just silly. It's foolish, it's done, it's dumb. I am done with all that. Junior year. Now I tell you that because you might be here and you might be thinking the same thing. You know, uh, you may be sitting here as I used to when I would go to church. And I, I remember sitting there in the pew as a, someone who did not believe, thinking, all oh, these people around me are crazy. You know, I mean, that's the way I would think of you if I was sitting there right now. And then maybe you, you may be sitting there thinking, that guy is crazy. These people next to me are crazy. You know? Why well, was you once? Yet see here next, Thomas, he had reason to stop doubting. And I want to urge you and help you see that you do also. And so we see here next what Thomas believes and he confesses Jesus as Lord Amen. and as God. Now, how would Thomas, with such a strong demand for nothing less than the appearance of the resurrected Christ... How would he, in view of such a statement, believe? What would need to happen? Well, Jesus would really have to appear to him. And so it did. So Jesus indeed did appear to Thomas. So eight days later, this Thomas was with the disciples, locked away in their room as they were before, and there in their midst, Jesus just comes 
and appears before them. You know, doors locked. You know, like I said last week, he didn't climb up a window, didn't bust the door open. He just appears in the flesh, physical. You could touch him. Not a ghost, not a phantom, none of that stuff. Flesh in the flesh, Jesus. And as the sovereign Savior, Jesus knew all that Thomas had said. And so he tells him to do just as he said, as Thomas had said. And he says, go ahead. You know, touch the marks. Touch my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And so we don't see any of that here. Thomas, he doesn't do any of that. What does he do? He just, he doesn't like, okay, you know, and, and like touch. He's like, oh, you know, and he sees Jesus. And he, he sees Jesus and he believes and he confesses, my Lord and my God. You just imagine him kind of falling down on his knees, right? He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't, he doesn't touch anything. He just believes in, as he sees these things and he confesses Jesus is Lord and he is indeed Lord, the one who is the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. And he believes. And he believed. Totally changed from doubt and unbelief to go on from having seen Christ and he would go on and live out his life for Christ and he would go and die for Christ being even speared to death preaching this gospel because he didn't simply think it was true. Right? He would have either had to have known it was true or not. But he did know it was true. And so he went and said, I am going to tell everybody about this. And if I die for it, I'll die for Christ to the glory of God. And he did. Being speared to death, but preaching the gospel. And so in contrast to doubt, see that Jesus is Lord and God. He is risen and all he says is true. And when he saves, he saves indeed. Now, I'm not sure why you might be doubting this morning. But just see here that you're in good company. You're in good company. I mean, the very disciples who went about proclaiming the gospel, even dying for the gospel outside of John, they doubted also. Thomas doubted also. And so see that, but also see that they didn't continue in their unbelief. They didn't keep on doubting. They didn't keep on disbelieving. After they saw the risen Christ and they were filled with the Spirit of God at Pentecost, they went out testifying to the reality of His resurrection so that you also might believe and be saved. You know, I found that biography plays a big role in who we are. You know what I mean? Like, like your story, like how you came to be, the things that you've experienced in your life and the things you've encountered in your life. And I think they, and, and very often they inform 
our doubts more than we might know. What I mean is, is that often we doubt not because the gospel is not reasonable or true or worthy of our lives, but because of something else. So it may be that you were hurt by a church and you said, you know what? I'm not going to believe in this stuff. They're going to hurt me like that. I'm gone. Or maybe someone who claimed to be a Christian hurt you. If that's how Christians are going to act, I'm not believing in Christianity. Or maybe someone, you know, uh, who was very dear to you, you, you lost them. Maybe you, maybe you got sick or a prayer of yours wasn't answered in the way that you would have liked it to be answered. Or maybe, you know, someone you knew got sick and they didn't, didn't make it. Or maybe, you know, uh, you're, you're actually sinning and you're living in sin and you just don't want to admit it. By admitting that He is indeed Christ, He is indeed Lord, He is indeed God, you have to say, the things I have been doing are sinful and wrong and I have to repent of them. And so there can be all these variety of reasons that we have that aren't actually anything to do with the intellect at all. Just biography. Things in your lives and reasons you're excusing yourself and saying, no, 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 I'm not going to believe in God. I'm not going to believe in Jesus because my dad died when I was younger. And, and I'm just going to make a big intellectual system after that saying that I don't believe, which was what essentially Frederick Nietzsche did, if you know who he was, the one who said, God is dead and we have killed him, who created nihilism Finding meaning for yourself, which means you have no meaning at all apart from God. Which is exactly what happened with him. His dad died when he was younger. His dad was a pastor. So our biography plays a bigger role than perhaps we might think. Let me tell you this. Know this today. Even so... Even so, someone got sick and died. Even so, you lost someone or you got sick or a prayer wasn't answered or a church hurt you or a Christian hurt you. Even so, they have absolutely no bearing on the reality and the truth that Jesus is Lord and he is God. This is true apart from any of those things. This is true disregardful of those things. He came not to save a world where no one dies, no one gets sick, no one gets hurt, no one sins, where wars are non-existent. He came to save sinners. He came to a world that is mangled, that is broken, and is living in rebellion against its creator. He came to save those who rejected him, hated him, and loved anything and everything except for him. He came to save and seek the lost, the sinner, the rebel, those sins separated from God. He came to save you and me. And so, in contrast to doubt, believe that He is indeed Lord and God. 
And then second, in contrast to doubt, see God's mercy towards the doubter. So Jesus knew what Thomas had said. He knew his doubts. Yet see his merciful response to Thomas here. And more than that, see see how he's continually stretching out his hands again and again throughout this gospel, which he has done. I mean, unbelief in the gospel of John is never seen in a positive light. I mean, just look at John chapter 12, verse 36 through 50, and you'll see it there. And yet again and again, Jesus sets the gospel before all, declaring, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That's John 12, 44 through 46. And so it is that Christ, he extends his arms mercifully out to you, also the doubter. If you're doubting today, he is calling you to come and believe in the one who is true, the one who is Savior. And then in contrast to doubt, see that you can trust God. See that you can trust God. Jesus, he went after Thomas. Do you remember what he said earlier in the gospel? He said that he was not going to lose one, right? So John 17, while I was, John 17, 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. And what do we see from that? We see what a friend we have in Jesus. We see that what he says he will do. Many might come, and I would say even many might leave you. They may cast you aside, or they may even forget about you, but Christ never will. Even now, if you are here and you feel abandoned, you feel lost, you feel cast aside, let me urge you, flee to Christ. You can trust Him through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Even then, He is with you. So in 1858, John Payton, he was a missionary... And he went out for the sake of the gospel. He went on a mission to share Christ, not just to anybody, but to cannibals. And he went out among the islands of the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, passionate to share Christ. And as he was there, he, oh my, encountered so many difficulties, lost his wife, lost his child constantly threatened I mean someone is kind of following you around with a knife kind of threatened they want to kill you that was normal in the life of John Payton (laughs) just another day people trying to kill me and they want me dead so he was often threatened inflicted in danger 
Yet even so, Christ never left him. And so once while he was being hunted by the natives of this island, he went and he, he hid in a tree and he writes this of those moments as he's hiding. He said, I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. And the hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among the chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus, alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to fill again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your soul alone, all alone in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? Well, here... I am to tell you, in Christ, you have a friend. No, you may be alone, but you're not alone. Even as we sang, in his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. So friends, may it be that you would see how you can trust God today. How you can trust Christ See what he says of you, of you. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. And so fittingly then, we come to verses 30 and 31 here where we are told very plainly this gospel's grand purpose. So again and again, God, he has mercifully and is mercifully stretching out his arms and calling you and I to unhindered faith. And so we see again and again, God, he gives you and I many reasons to believe. And so it says in verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. And so what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but it means God is saying to you, see how I've sought after you in this gospel. See how I have laid out reason after reason, sign after sign as a testimony calling you to believe and know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world, and believe. And so it was that we saw Jesus change water into wine. And so it was that we saw the healing of the official's son at Jesus' word. So we saw the healing of the man who was lame for 38 years. So we saw the feeding of the 20,000 people. So we saw the healing of the man born blind. So we saw Lazarus raised from the dead, so we have seen the dead buried Christ now risen in appearing as the prom- promised prophet, priest, king, and savior. Amen. 
And there were many more signs not written here as well. And so with these, God, he wants you to know and believe, and I'm just going to list them quickly, that Jesus is the Christ, and that through believing you have, you'll have her life. So he's not, he's not setting before us the possibility of salvation. It's not, it's not here he might save you if you believe, but he is setting before us real life and real salvation that is given to all and any who believe in Christ. You know, I've heard people say, and maybe you have too, things like, you know, oh yeah, that, that might be what the Bible says and all, but you'll learn once you get in the real world how things really work. You know, once you encounter more of life, then you'll really know how the world works. Yeah, you, you got all that Bible stuff over there, but wait until you go and travel the world and you see it. Well, friends, this gospel, these words, this Bible is for the real world. It's for us. It's for the nitty-gritty. It's for your life. It's for my life. It's for the real world. This is for the unbeliever. This gospel is set before you, doubters, skeptics, all that you may see from a variety of angles, that this is indeed the Savior of the world and that you may believe and be saved. And this gospel is also for you, for the believer. This gospel is, the gospel of John is to propel your faith. And, and even as I say that, maybe you've been here and as we've been walking through this gospel of John or, or you haven't, you know, as we've gone through this more than a year now walking through the gospel of John, but even with just these verses here alone, have they not just done that? Have they not propelled your faith? Has not this gospel shown and lifted up Christ for us? Has this gospel not grown your love for Christ, your adoration of Him, your devotion to Him, your joy in Him? Has it not grown your trust in Him? And so... Let this gospel cause your faith in the life that you have in Christ to abound. To the unbeliever here, hear the call, believe, and have true life. Look to Christ who can save you. And to the believer, let this life that you have in Christ be a testimony to the veracity of this gospel before the world. Let it stream over your homes and your careers. Let it stream over this church. Let it stream over your relationships. Let it stream over when you get sick, when death is near, in the engaging of this culture, in the engaging of this world, in the engaging of this city, in your words, in how you treat others, in your godly stewardship, in what you do, and in all you do. Do not disbelieve. 
but believe and let this life you have in Christ flow out and over everything. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask, Father, right now that you would be with us as we've, we may, it may be that someone here has been doubting for a good time, a long time. May they see that the, the doubting Thomas and see the true words of your word and they would indeed no longer disbelieve but believe. Even though circumstances and trials and loss and challenges are great, you are greater. And we can trust you. We indeed confess these things to be true. May you indeed propel our faith this morning. If there's anyone here who doesn't know the Lord today, pray that you would open their eyes to see the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. They would see their need for Christ and trusting in him, putting their faith in him, and they would believe. And so help us, Father, as we respond to your word, help us to respond. Help us to see that we indeed do have a friend, <laughs> a friend in Christ indeed, who never will leave us nor forsake us. He does not lie. So if that's what we've been feeling, if we have been abandoned, if we have been left alone, may you help us indeed to see the one who is with us. Your friends may be gone, our enemies may be great. Christ is Lord. So help us. We thank you and we pray for your hand and may we respond as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.